I think that was on. <laughs> um, okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Little, and today I'm joined by Sean Bowen, Jacob McPherson, and Cameron Peters. <laughs> uh, and we are going to be talking about Chapter 7 of Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Chris was an FBI negotiator for 24 years before he retired and started the Black Swan Group. Now he teaches his skills to individuals and groups so they can learn how to better negotiate in all areas of their professional lives. Um, like I said, today we're going through chapter seven, which is, I believe, titled uh, Calibrated Questions. So without further ado, Sean, go ahead and take it away. Awesome. Welcome back, guys. Uh, chapter seven on Never Split the Difference. And uh, like Ashley said, jump right into it. Chapter seven talks about calibrated questions. The listener has the control of the conversation. Goal is to suspend belief or unbelief, calibrated questions, ask for help and clarification. Do not use can, is, are, do, or does. Avoid questions that can be answered with yes or tiny pieces of information. Start every question with what, how, and sometimes, but rarely, why. Only use why when the defensiveness it creates is in your favor. Why would you ever change from the way you always do things to try my approach? Instead of telling someone you can't leave the negotiation table, change it to, what do you hope to achieve by going? And avoid angry emotional reactions. So I think this one's a really good one because as we go through these, for examples, they're talking about phrases to use, which are what makes you ask the following. What about blank is important to you? How can I help make this better for us? How would you like me to proceed? I love that one. What is, the, what is it that brought us to this situation? How can we solve the problem? And what's the objective? What are we trying to accomplish here? And then, of course, always the famous one is, how am I supposed to do that? So this is actually a chapter that I listen to a lot on because for some reason, it I always want to go back to it. And for whatever reason, when I get into talking, sometimes I just don't do it. <laughs> it's really frustrating. I figure if I listen to it enough, it'll just drill it in my head. So how do we do that? Right? Talking about sellers asking for prices and they ask for a number that's just too big. How do I do that? And then leave that there, almost like a mirror or just an open question so they can answer it. It's a space. Um. But this is one chapter, again, that I listen to a lot. So going around with the guys here and the ladies here, um, tell me what you guys think about this on this chapter and how you guys broke it down for yourselves. Let's start with uh, Jacob. Sure. So I think that as far as this chapter is concerned, it's, it's the idea of just asking open-ended questions, right? Which is, I mean, if anybody has ever done sales or anything along those lines, a career where you have to sell or you have to dig for information, an open-ended question is the number one way to do that, right? Because it invites the, in this case, the seller to elaborate and to give you more information than just a basic yes or no answer. So that's why you want to avoid those types of questions because it's not really getting you anywhere. Um, as far as, you know, where we use this and how we use it in these conversations, uh, if anybody's listened to the calls, I mean, I'm sure that Cam, Sean, you're, you're very, very good at it when it comes to open-ended questions, but I know that Cam historically likes to use the, what are we trying to accomplish here? What's the objective? And that's just asking the seller to tell us how we can solve their problem. So 
that's how we use these questions in order to dig for information and to, and to ultimately try to find out what the seller is looking for and whether or not that is going to meet um, our criteria for what we may be able to do for them, helping them moving forward. Uh, one of the questions that I always ask is how can we help you do that, right? So if we're going through a, a particular conversation as far as, you know, what does this look like for you? I asked that literally last week in a phone call with the seller. Uh, she was telling me that she wanted to move. She has to be moved by the end of uh, April and was basically saying that she wants to have the house sold by then. She's not entirely sure whether or not she wants to proceed with repairs and so on. And we started to go down that path. And I said, well, what does it look like if you were to stay? Right. So then, of course, she starts talking about the negative things, all the reasons that she wants to move. And then the follow up question after you get all of that pain out is, OK, great. So how can we help you do that? So it's moving, moving the seller from a position of of pain and frustration to ultimately um, being able to get to a point where you can help them solve the issue. But the brilliant part about all of this is that you're actually not solving anything. By asking these types of questions, the seller is actually solving their own problem. They just don't realize it. So that's the brilliance behind, I think, uh, I think all these open-ended questions. That's why I love this chapter. Cool. So useful stuff that you're using every day in calls with sellers. Absolutely. Nice. Cam, what do you think? So um, I like this chapter, and I think that I mentioned it in the last chapter when we were talking about framing, but um, I've used this chapter to kind of refocus to either I'm going to frame a question that sounds like or seems like or feels like or whatever, or I'm going to use this strategy where it's a what or a how, right? And that took some, some discipline, I guess, and some learning to when a question needed to be asked to use what or how instead of starting with another word, right? So, so a lot of times it's, um, what about this works for you? or what about this does not work for you to get out that piece to try to figure out what, if there's hesitation, right? Uh, I don't, I don't know if that 90,000 is going to work. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if that offer is going to work. Okay. Well, what about that doesn't work for you? Well, you know, you said you wanted to close in 60 days. I need to be close, you know, sooner than that. Sometimes those what's and those how's will uncover more for you. Um, and the other one that I think Jacob was talking about too is, um, you know, how can we help you do this? How can I help you do this? You know I mean, how can we move forward here? So it's all the what and the how and the what and the how and um, just honestly centering more, I think it's more towards the end of your conversation when those what and those hows come in, but that's how I use those uh, every day, honestly. Cool. Ashley, do you use any of this stuff in your side of the house? Um, I don't really use it when talking to sellers or buyers. Because I think by the time I talk to them, they're already, you know, we're already at the closing table or close to it. And so there isn't, there's a little bit of um, talking sweetly or sweet talking them. Um, but for the most part, it's a pretty, you, you can be pretty open at that point about, so I can say things like, okay, why do you need to do this? Or why do we need to do this? Um, just to figure out, to cut to the core of the issue so that we don't have to go through hoops or go through misunderstandings so that we can figure out, okay, well, I just don't want to pay the $78 to file a list of errors. Okay, that's fine. I can solve that problem. Nope, no worries. And just go from there. But there are 
there are some cases where I think in talking as a company or even trying to talk to Cam or Jacob or Kaylee on the acquisition side, we, uh, where you have to, where I'm like, Hey, why is this happening? And they have to kind of make it sound nicer when they're talking to people. We had this happen recently with Cam where he was working on a joint venture deal and our joint venture partner was insisting on all of these things. And I was like, why, 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 why is he insisting? And Cam, I'm sure had to walk that line of like trying to figure out an answer for me, but also not alienating our partner. But on the sidelines, I'm like, Cam, this doesn't make sense. Tell me why he's trying to do this. <laughs> and so <laughs> sometimes it's a little hard for me. Cause I'm just like, I, I know the closing side of it so well that I'm like, I just, I don't want to have to go through all of this. Just tell me what you want so we can move forward. Nice. Okay. So I want to go back around for a quick question on the why statement. And it's good because Ashley actually brought it up to asking Cam, but I want to hear it from you guys on the why, because one thing I'll always tell guys that in our side of the business, right? We want to get to somebody's why. Um, and I, and we want to know their why, Right. But when we say that we want to be the annoying four-year-old and ask why, it's being done in a very strategic way. So accusatory is usually how why comes across, and we don't want to get that. But we do want to have that why of, so why would you want to sell today, right? That's a, a way of asking a question without being accusatory, right? It's not in an accusatory statement, the way it's being said. But got to be careful about how you touch on that, right? So go around for a quick second and, and just touch on this. Do you guys, can you give an example of maybe how you didn't say why and used a different word that kept you out of maybe a, a negative trail that you're going to go down? Cam, how about you? Yeah, so instead of why are you looking to sell today, I always ask um, what has you looking to sell today? Or, okay. you know what I mean? What, what, what has you thinking about selling? I think what has you thinking about selling is probably my go-to. Um, I like it that's one that I would certainly use. And then I would go back to the, the framing, the seams and it sounds like instead of, you know what I mean? Um, why, you know, why is your brother being such a pain in the ass, right? Or why, why are there so many issues here? Uh, you know, it, it sounds like maybe your brother and you aren't on the same page. You know, that, that's, that's how I would use that. I, I think I really try never to say why. Nice. <laughs> there you go. How about it. you? So I'm actually pretty much in the same boat as Cam as far as that goes. Uh, it's really just kind of inserting a different word for why. So what makes you want to sell today versus why do you want to sell today? In my case, I actually use, even though it says you shouldn't, I use can, um, but I use it in a very different way. So I will say something along the lines of like, can you tell me a little about the property? So it's still inviting them to give more information. It's not a, can you do this for me, right? Yes or no. It's not like a yes or no question. Um, but that's, I mean, those are some of the ways that I get around it as well. But I mean, I think Cam pretty much hit it on the head. So. Okay, cool. Ashley, do you think this applies at all on your side? Um, I don't think so. Like I said earlier, by the time everything gets to me, most of the feathers are unruffled. Everything seems to be going well, or it's in a, such a bad situation that it doesn't really matter at that point because everyone knows it's gone kind of sideways. Um, I did want to draw attention though, to something that you do with the why statements when you're, especially when you're talking to other wholesalers or potential joint venture partners, 
you tend to say, why does this make sense? And I think sometimes it can, we've talked about this, how, especially when you're writing things, it can come across kind of brash and abrasive Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're not trying to be like that. You're just honestly just trying to get an answer. And so I think, but I, I think you do a really good job too of when people realize that they'll start to give you a lot of information about, okay, yes, this deal makes sense because this is what I'm seeing that you haven't considered or that I don't think you've considered that kind of stuff. Okay. So I think good to know, not just when you're dealing with potential sellers or buyers, but other partner partners and deals as well. Good idea. I like that. Good feedback. All right. Um, let's see. So we got through the first portion of this. It says, instead of telling someone you can't leave the negotiation table, change it to what do you hope to achieve by going? So I think we've gotten through the majority of these questions. And again, I think the last one that they really highlight here is how am I supposed to do that? In this uh, audio part that he does here, oh my goodness, this is one that I hear over and over and over. And I just, for some reason, I, I'm trying to get better at it, but how, how am I supposed to do that? Or how do, how do we do that? I think is a statement that a lot of us use, right? I know I recognize a lot of us saying this kind of stuff, but like, I actually will say this when we're talking about doing things, right. But how do we do that? And I'm all like, is she doing it on purpose? <laughs> or if you're not doing it on purpose, when we say it, it, it is on purpose to people like joint venture partners or people that, because we want to know the answer and it's not the direct answer. I want to know the reason why they want to do it versus us forcing our agenda on them. Right. So again, I think there's a really good chapter. I think there's a lot of takeaways on this that we as a company use every single day and it really helps into negotiation again. So good to go. No, I wanted to go back to that. How am I supposed to do that? Cause I think sometimes that can also come off sort of not great, like confrontational, you know, I think a lot of it goes back to tone, but especially if you've been going back and forth a lot about, um, okay, the, someone wants to sell you a house, but they don't want to get the tenant out. So they're like, why don't you just take it over with a tenant? Well, how am I supposed to do that? And the way you say it has a big impact on how effectual it is but also how it comes across. The tone is really important when you're using that. It needs to be more, it cannot be accusatory. It has to be more, well, you know, how can, how, how am I supposed to do that? Or like as an actual question or rephrase it, I think like you said, how can we do that? Something like that so that it's not that accusation. It's not kind of dismissing things out of hand. Um, okay. I think when I use it, I hope when I use it, it comes across as I'm literally just asking, okay, how are we going to do this though? Like, (laughs) how does this work within our company structure? No, it's, it's good. So that's a good feedback. I like that. The tone inflection of how you ask it is all in the delivery. So really important, really important. Good pickup. Okay. Anything else on this one? I would say for, yeah, I would say for, um, the acquisition side, I don't say that a lot. How am I supposed to do that? Because I think I, it comes across to me in the real estate world the same way that Ashley's kind of portraying it, I think. So the closest thing I do to that is, you know what I mean? When somebody has a, let's say my offer's at 100,000, right? And they're like, I really need 120, whatever it may be, right? Um, 
instead of saying, how am I supposed to do that? And just leave that completely open-ended. Usually I will go back through what the costs are involved, right? So uh, I don't know, you know, that's, that's kind of tough. Um, and we're gonna put a roof on this and we're gonna have to update the windows and you know what I mean? We're gonna have to so on and so on. And so just kind of recapping what's going on. So, I mean, with all that being said, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do that. That's tough. You know what I mean? So not just the, Chris, Chris has that little short phrase, but I think uh, he's kind of at the negotiation table with somebody's life or somebody's million dollar deal, right? Where they, they want to make a deal where sometimes, you know what I mean? If the seller's not, mm, we're hoping they're motivated, but maybe they're not so motivated. I think that could shut it down. So I think that's a way that I kind of use that, but not specifically the way Chris teaches it. Cause I tried it um, a long time ago. It didn't go so well. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get any traction. I didn't get anybody to get upset with me, but I didn't see traction from it. So I'm like, man, there's gotta be a different way to say this. Right. Good one. Good feedback. Pick up anything with you. I think uh, so Cam and I are on the same page as far as that and Ashley, of course, as well here. So because I agree with Cam, I actually tried it once as well and it did not go the way that I was hoping. So because it did come off as accusatory and I think that Cam said it right. If you don't frame it correctly, then it's not going to go anywhere. Like when the seller comes right out and says, I need 120,000 and your next phrase out of your mouth is, well, how am I supposed to do that? They're like, I don't fucking know, man. I need 120,000, right? Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> So I think like Cam said, you know, framing and going back to going back to like, ah, just like, I'm not sure. Like, I just don't know how I'm supposed to do that. That's what I say. So if I'm going to use this particular phrase now in the event of Sean, you've done this really well in the past, but if a seller comes right out and says, I need 180,000 and we know the number's too high, you'll go straight at it and you'll just say, no, that number just doesn't work. What if, right? So that's the other thing that I think that I always use is, I'm going to need 120,000. Yeah, that number is just too high. I'm not going to be able to get you there. What if I could do this? So then you're, you're acknowledging the fact that the number is too high. You're going at it. You're, you're stating it. And then you're also counteracting that with like, a, okay, well, what if I can do this? Would that work for you? Right. So, but yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with Ashley and Cam. I think that it all depends on how you say it. And I think nine times out of 10, it's going to come across as accusatory if you don't frame it correctly. Nice. All right. Good chapter, guys. Cool. So thanks so much for listening to us discuss chapter seven of Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. We'll be back next week to discuss chapter eight. If you're enjoying our podcast or our YouTube videos, please leave us reviews or comments. Let us know what you think. Um, let us know what you want to hear and see in the future or how wholesaling out of the box or Never Split the Difference has helped you. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Maybe. <laughs> I did not. Mean hey, everyone. It's Ashley with Wholesaling Out of the Box. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We've got a lot more content coming for you on your podcatcher of choice, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all of the above. So we'd really, really appreciate it if you would be willing to write a review if you have the time today for us down on whatever, wherever you're listening to this, because reviews help us so much to get in front of more people. And it lets us see what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you're interested in, things like that. So give us any kind of feedback. Sean and I are always saying we like all feedback, all uh, constructive criticisms so that we can get better, so that we can give you the content that you're looking for. 
So if you could leave us a review, that would be magical. And that's, that's it. Thanks for listening.